But dads do have an effect on our lives, don't they? A lot of it by the words that they say, um, whether it's rub some dirt in it, which was one of my common phrase, or just get some tape. Um, let's tape that back up and get you back out there. I was my, uh, both my sons, I coached them in a one in baseball, or two, one in baseball and two in football. And, uh, and yeah, so I had the pleasure of taping them up several times and getting them back out there and um, having some fun until, yeah. They each broke a, a bone here and there, and I guess tape wasn't going to work when it came to that. So um, we didn't get to do that. But my daughter played some soccer and uh, ran some track and did some of that. And uh, so we were all those. The dad jokes and the encouragement was, was a lot of fun and uh, in doing all that through that season of our lives. And um, when my dad passed away, um, one of my sons wrote on his Facebook account, he said, who had a grandpa that would drive hours and hours and hours just to watch him play one game of baseball. And he said, I did. <laughs> so, you know, we just had that good, good times, right? Good things going on a lot of, lot of times. And, and, but dads are, dads are imperfect and grandpas are imperfect. I, now, by the time we become grandpas, we should probably like figure some of it out, right? And, and yes, but I was roughhousing with my middle grandson yesterday, Ezra, right? And he was slapping me on my bald head because they thought that that sounded funny. And sure enough, it, like, it kind of did. And then I went to like, just give one the little, yeah, Ezra, give him a little jab in the shoulder. But as I went to give him a little, because he was punching me in the stomach, I give him a little back, you know. And then as I went to like punch him in the stomach, he like slipped off the couch and I punched him right in the mouth. I just went pop. And he looked at, I got him in the mouth. And he goes, he's looking around like, what the heck? Because he would, he would laugh when I, you know, jab him in the stomach a little bit. He's laughing. And then he's like, hey. What's up with that? To where Brant said, Ezra, get him back. So, and thus it continues, right? Because that's what dads and grandpas kind of do. And we have fun. Um, my dad, you know, my dad wasn't a Christian when I was born. My dad became a, a believer in Jesus when I was 14 years old. And then uh, right before my 15th birthday, right in that area. And then by the time I became 15, a few months later, kind of changed the trajectory of our family. And um, so my dad, when I, when I think about my dad, I think about, you know, there was a lot of overlap between the non-Christian dad that I knew and the Christian dad that I knew. And you got to watch this kind of growth going from one person who just was not a good person, like honestly at all, like he just was not, he was the neighborhood drug salesman, um, you know, watch him pull a gun on someone out in the middle of the street. Those kinds of, that was, that was my dad until I was 15. And then, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, always teaching me don't start fights, but end them very quickly. Um, that was just, that was one of his famous phrases. And then when he became a, a Christian, it was like this whole total, total different thing. When he became a Christian, and then um, a few months later in 1985, he became a Christian in the spring of 1985. I became a Christian in the fall of 1985. My spiritual birthday is October 12th, 1985. And then I was right in the middle of football season my freshman year, and I had grown up playing baseball. Football was a little bit new to me, and it was right there in that, in that kind of time when I, when I became a Christian. And um, one of the guys at the church by the name of Al, he was a, he was a, a running back for Stanford, and uh, he kind of took me under his wing, and he would show up sometimes in my football games with my dad. And, and then one time, my dad, um, the day before a football game, my dad put me in the car, and he said, son, let's, let's go for a, a little drive, and I said, okay, so get in the car with my dad, and we drive over to the football field, over to the high school, and we drive there, and then um, we stood outside, he got out of the car, and he said, come here for a second, and he walked me to the football, right under the edge of the football field, and he goes, uh, the sideline was there, and he goes, 
He goes, now son, on this side of the sideline, you got to be a good man. And he gave me a little speech about being kind, about being respectful, about being nice. And then he goes, now son, when you step across that line, forget all that. <laughs> and he just says, and then, so I did that. And then as you see, we began to grow. We were playing one football game. Um, this was probably my, that was my freshman year. Then my junior year, um, playing varsity football, we were playing a game out at L.A. City College because some school in L.A. played on that, on that field. And so we, we, we went out to that field and, and we're playing and uh, we had a kickoff and I was on the kickoff team at that point. I played tight end and outside linebacker on defense and um, was on the kickoff team. And at some point I had to tell the coach, I can't do all the special teams and offense and defense at the same time. Can you get me out of here? give me some water and so at one point when I was out there you know and and because I thought I was the stuff you know in high school um I I hit a guy and he went down and and then I stood over him and said a couple things and then walked back to the sideline thinking that I had done what I needed to do and it wasn't my dad going to be proud of me oh boy when I got home that night he let me have it (laughs) I got home and he took me into the kitchen and he said what in the wide world do you think you're doing out there I said, what you told me to do? On this side of the field, I'm this way. On that side of the field, I'm the other way. And he said, well, I might have been wrong about that. If I ever see you act like that again on the football field, I will walk down there and take you off myself. It's fine to play the game hard, son, but you pick the guy up at the end. And you don't talk to people. You don't make comments. You respect your opponent. Yes, sir. See, so it can't, even he began to grow from that freshman year. Go out there and just, you know, be, you could be a non-Christian on the football field, but over here, be respectful. And then two years later, you need to be a Christian everywhere you go, son. And so we just kind of grew up together in the faith. And, and Al was kind of this mentor of mine. And he would come to our house with me and my dad. And he would do these Bible studies with us and, and get us growing. The same ones that Craig is leading people through with the, called The Journey. And doing those even back then. It's just kind of been a staple in the Church of the Nazarene. And in the Wesleyan Church that I was a part of when I, when I became a Christian in the 80s. And my dad and I grew up kind of spiritually together. And then I would go off to Bible college. And then I would would come home. And my sister recently sent me a photo um, that she had found going through a box or two of um, the time when I came back from Bible college after my first semester of Bible college. And I was 20 years old and I came home back to my home church there and the senior pastor there um, allowed me to preach. And he knew that I was coming home and he told me, he says, hey, when you come home your first semester, I'd like you to preach at our church and, you know, just kind of come home and kind of tell us what you've been up to your first semester away. And he goes, by the way, I won't be there. I'll give you the Sunday night service. I won't be there. You and Kevin, the worship leader, you guys run that service. I'm going to, I'll go take the Sunday evening off. It's all yours. And I thought, well, that's odd. (laughs) Why would you let me have the whole service? And so I did. I met with the worship leader, and that's the first service I ever put together with someone um, as being in charge of that service at 20 years old. And then as we began to start the service, um, right at the beginning, that pastor came in to that service and I said I thought you weren't going to be here and he goes I lied how he goes I can't see how you do and I'm like oh boy okay thanks pastor Dave well someone else was in attendance that evening that normally wouldn't attend a church service that was my grandfather my grandfather attended that service he came down from San Luis Obispo to El Monte that little town over there east of LA and he drove down and he 
sat in attendance. And now, mind you, when I first became a Christian at 15, my grandfather called me and he told me this over the phone. He said, grandson, he said, don't read too much of that Bible. It'll warp your brain. Okay, grandpa. <laughs> okay, sir. So now he came down to hear me preach. First, first, first service I've ever run, first sermon that I've ever preached at that, at that church. And after I preached that sermon, don't know what I talked about, don't know what the passage was, but I do know the first half of the sermon I struggled, the second half of the sermon I pulled myself together and did better. The pastor came up to me afterwards and he said, the first, first few minutes of that sermon you were preaching from your head because you were the Bible, the Bible student come home. And he said, and you felt that that wasn't really working for you, was it? No, sir. <laughs> wasn't working at all. And then he said, but that second half of the sermon, once you realized that it wasn't working, you preached from your heart, and you were the guy that we know. Great job. My grandfather then come up to me, and this is rare for my grandfather. My grandfather was born in 1904. He was a heavy equipment mechanic for, the, for Kern County. Very rough man, built his own homes, literally built his own houses. <laughs> he would buy a plot of land and go get the wood and build his house himself. Plumbing, electrical, the whole thing my grandfather, raise his own meat with chickens and other things and grow his own vegetables and that's what he did. And uh, he was a man that always had dress pants on, a dress shirt and those brim hats turned sideways. <laughs> my grandfather, John. And he came up to me and gave me a hug and said, I love you. He said, good job. Now my father, who was always one to say I love you, we wouldn't let a day go by without saying that to his kids or grandkids. My grandfather, who, when he said that, my father looked at me as my grandfather hugged me, turned around and walked out. My father looked at me and said, what did he say? I said, Grandpa said that he loved me. And he goes, ooh. I've never heard that before in my life. And see, my dad used to tell me, don't tell your grandfather that you love him. He sees that as a sign of weakness when a man says that to another man. Men only say, I love you to women and children. So my whole life, I've never, I never up to that point told my grandfather I loved him. He never told me that he loved me. So that, but that night, something happened in my grandfather's heart to where he gave his grandson a hug for the first time and said that I love you. Don't know what God did in his heart. Don't know. My grandfather later died at the age of 92 and never knowing if he found the Lord or not. But I do know that they, my grandfather and my father, raised me with a work ethic, sometimes too much, <laughs> sometimes teaching me to, that I always had to work more than the guy next to me. And if you outworked the guy next to you, then you were probably going to be okay. But I honor my father and my grandfather today because as I have that heritage from them, I've learned to find some balance. And as my grandfather said, don't read the Bible, it'll warp your brain. Well, too late. <laughs> it had already done that by the time he said it, and it continues to shape my mind and the way that I think. I view everything, my life, my fathering, my grandfathering, my marriage, my leading of this church. I view everything through the lens of the Scripture. The Scripture has shaped everything that I've come to believe is right and wrong, good and bad, or maybe just indifferent. And the work ethic that my father poured into me, is, sticks to me today, and, um, and I honor him for that. 
And I also enjoyed that period of time of growing with my, with my father, getting to know new things. As he discovered Christ, so was I. And we kind of had that partnership kind of thing. And I also honor Susan's father because this is Joel. And Lorna gave me an amazing gift. And I know that when you see, I called Joel one time when one of my kids was going to be leaving the state, leaving the country for a couple of years. My, my middle child, Brock, was going to go do some mission work in Cambodia. And I was like, boy, this is a tough thing to watch your kid go off. So I called Joel and I said, you've had to watch this happen twice. And he said, yes, sir. As he would always say, yes, sir. He said, yes, sir, I did. I'm quite familiar with that. I said, well, that's not easy. And he goes, no, no, it's not. And then there's this photo. I don't know if, Lorna, if you have this or Joel has this, but Susan had this photo of on the day where Susan moved from Oklahoma City to California, there's this photo that I've seen. I don't know if I saw it at your house or Susan, but it's Joel's truck with a little U-Haul behind it and snow everywhere. And snow everywhere. Snow all over that truck and all over the road and off they took off, Joel driving Susan out here. And I thought to myself, one of the hardest days for my father-in-law and my mother-in-law were probably my best day. Probably my best day. Where a teenager in California was trying his best to find his way into Christianity and the world and the best day of my life was probably the most challenging day or one of them for my father-in-law because where he was taking <laughs> His daughter, I still can't remember, still can't think of what you guys thought with that, Lorna and Joel, when you, when you took Susan from a very nice neighborhood in Oklahoma City to El Monte and dropped her off <laughs> in that neighborhood. That is just insane. I, I can't imagine. I can imagine what you guys were thinking. And my father-in-law, you know, he's very mild-mannered, soft-spoken, wise man, and I could just see him thinking this neighborhood where my daughter, oh Lord, and, uh, but my best day. And seeing that, it's kind of a cool opportunity for me, so I, I thank my father-in-law for that as well, and as we did reflect a couple of months back when I was out for my, my nephew Isaac's wedding, we reflected on that evening when I asked for Susan's hand in marriage. And oh, what a crazy night that was. And, uh, my father-in-law is quite a bit taller than me, and I was out there in Oklahoma, and I said, Joel, can I speak with you for a second? And we stepped outside, and as I looked up to him and tried to ask him for his daughter's hand in marriage, they were in the kitchen. I said, oh my goodness, Paul is out there talking to Joel. Are you serious? And my brother-in-law brought, because I told you, I told you. And we came in and did that, and we have a wonderful heritage with Joel and the, the spiritual legacy that he has poured into my grandsons and doing that. And his father was a Nazarene pastor. And so I look at my grandsons and my sons and I think to myself, well, they've got a heritage. And then Heather's father, who they're out visiting today, he loves the Lord as well. So I look at my three little grandsons and I think, boys, my goodness, you're like fourth generation in serving the Lord. And I pray that they carry that on. And I will do my best, and I know their dad will do their best to continue that legacy with those young guys. And it really is, when you start thinking about generations, you start thinking about this as being a, uh, a, a true partnership, right? A true partnership with each other 
as fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers and father-in-laws and all that mixed in is this partnership. But in the middle of that is this partnership with God. And as if we as fathers can partner with our Heavenly Father, I think that we will either change the trajectory of a generation like my dad did, going from a grandfather who says, don't read too much of the Bible, it'll warp your brain, to a dad that says, stay in the Word, be consistent, do those things, it'll straighten me out when I needed it, to then my sons and my daughter having a legacy of spirituality and Christian and ministry and... um, even my daughter being on staff right now at a church with her uncle and getting to see that. It's just, just such a joy to be a part of that and to think about this kind of partnership, whether you're in the position of where my father was, where you have to change the trajectory because the history isn't good, or you're in a position that my father-in-law was in with having a godly father and so forth. Wherever you find yourself today, whether you're really needing to make some changes so that the next generations of, of your family get straightened out and be with the Lord, or else you're inheriting a large inheritance. You really are in a partnership. The first thing we think about in Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, children are a heritage from the Lord, and offspring a reward from Him. And so I am thankful that God has so chosen to give me three, three wonderful children, and so far three grandchildren. But see, I also know from 17 years of working at, in Christian education and coaching high school sports, I do know that there are a lot of fathers, a lot of children that grow up without fathers, and then what happens in the nature of a church is that the men of the church step in to that gap. And so in a church family, when you have fathers that are absent, and moms and grandmas and grandpas are bringing those kids to church, well, who's going to fulfill that role? You. You are. And so this is a challenge to the men of the church, whether you're a father or not. You're a man in the church, you are expected to feel, fill a godly, fatherly role in the lives of the children that are around you. And that is why it's so important for each and every one of us to be participating in the life of the church. As I said, when my father and I became Christians, we were kind of partners in growth. So it wasn't as though I can look to my father and say, this is how you, how you behave as a Christian man, because we were both figuring that out. But as I stepped into the life of the church at 15 years old, I started to see other men that had been walking with Christ for years, the men of the church. And as the men of the church began to invite young teenagers into participating in the painting of the church and the cleaning of the church and playing on various sports teams and going on things and doing that, because our church happened like ours here, we had a gym and we participated in what's called Church Athletic Association. And we did all that and the men of the church wanted some of those young athletes to get involved with them to help them do a little bit better in the sports that they played, basketball, volleyball, and then we got introduced to slow pitch softball through the men of the church. But they also needed some young guys to climb up on the roof, and they also needed some young guys to get in tight places to where they didn't want to get in all the work that they're like, I don't want to do that anymore, get a teenager. So it was through those men in the church that I discovered how to be a Christian man. And it was through two men in the church in particular that I learned what it's like to be a pastor, even before I knew kind of what that was. And when I started to receive a call into ministry, the only thing I knew that as a junior in high school was that I was feeling the sense and the desire and the necessity to do what my pastor and my senior pastor were doing, even though I didn't know what to call that. So it was through the men of the church that we figured that out. And then watching marriages 
and watching career paths and watching how people become educated and to live in that. My family, I was the first one ever to go to college, let alone get three degrees, but just to get one. My family was, you graduated from high school, you went in the military, or you went and got a job, became a union worker, and worked yourself up. College was, what's that? We don't have time for that. Military, go to get a union job. One of the two, that's what you did. (laughs) But through other men in the church, I started to discover through one particular Nazarene pastor, Pastor Flinner, who told me that a call to ministry is a call to prepare. Go to college, get your degree, do what you need to do. So men of the church, our job is great. Our job is huge. And it's a partnership with God. So, God calls fathers into partnerships in the lives of his children. Think about that for just a second. God calls fathers, and may I even say all men, into partnership for the sake of our children and our grandchildren. Now, I know that we live in such an age that with every statement when we say a father does this, or a man does this, or a male does this, the pushback in our culture is, women do that too, women do that too, women do that too. And we have this kind of push in our culture to just put women and men all in the same thing and don't differentiate and don't say this is man's work and this is woman's work. Don't say that at all. Don't say that. And there's all sorts of bad dad jokes that that's women's work, right? I know. I, I, I know. I say them to my daughter. I say them to my wife. I, I know they're bad jokes. Don't say them. But yes, when the wife says, can you help me with the dishes? I say, nope, that's woman's work. And then I get slapped and then I don't get food. And then I, it's just a bad day as I open my can of soup. Woman's work. (laughs) It's a bad day. But a lot could be said about that. And there are a lot of crossover. There are a lot of shared responsibilities Many, 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 many shared responsibilities when it comes to mother and father and becomes mother, grandmother and grandfather, men and women. There's, a, there's this wonderful partnership that's very biblical and honoring, and it is equal in significance, equal in amazement, e- equal in value. But then there's some things, ladies and gentlemen, that growing children need from men. And there is things that a growing child needs from a woman. And the moment we stop thinking that way is the moment we damage the next generation. And so on Father's Day, I want us to think about some of these things. Now you might, as you look through these, you might say, I know women do that, I know. But once you, there's something in the male brain that's not good. That as soon as we know a woman can do it, we'll let her and we'll just check out. Because men are great at that. Oh, got that diaper covered? Whoo, thank you Jesus. Not doing that. I don't know why. I have no clue. Maybe there's some reason why men do this. But men tend to step up to challenges when they know no one else will. And they will sit back and let the world go by if their wives will take care of everything. They'll sit back and just keep watching the ball game. This is wonderful. Great. This guy, go ask your mom. Go ask your mom. Go ask your mom. And I don't know why. Maybe you can preach a sermon on that as why men become so passive with that. So let's not 
try to sidestep the responsibility that we have as men. And I want to talk to you about a few things and a few ways in which God and men partner together. God partners with fathers and mothers to produce life. But it takes both, doesn't it? Yes, it takes both. Yes, it does. See, as I would, with teenagers, you know, sometimes they get a little weird, especially teenage boys. And as I would have my baseball players in their, line, in their warm-up rows, and I would be on one end, and I would notice some giggling and some laughing over here, and that there's always this unique laugh among teenage boys when they're talking about something inappropriate. And I would make my way over there, because okay, I've got to put it in, knock this off, they've got to focus. And I would walk over there, and sure enough, they'll be making some sort of inappropriate sexual reference to some girl on campus, and they would, oh, when coach comes by. And the only thing I had to do to shut those boys up was I would have to walk by and do something like this. Whatever you guys are talking about over there, your parents did that, and that's why you're here. <laughs> and walk away. That's disgusting. Oh, my. Yeah, you don't want to talk about that anymore, do you? Because now I just said that your parents did that, and you got disgusted. Yes, coach, thanks. Okay, get back to work. That's the reality of it. None of us will be here without mom and dad. None of us. It took mom and dad to get you here because God so saw to it that he was going to invite humanity into the creative process that he had started by his spoken word. And the partnership that you and I have as human beings is a partnership with Almighty God to create life. Isn't that amazing that God created us in His image and He said, be fruitful and multiply. Go do God's stuff. Go be creative. Make life. You have the power within you. And then God created the male and female and as they come together as one, they create life. What an amazing, beautiful expression of partnership where God says, I am the author of all life. And I created you to join together to create new life. Amazing. Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them. Sometimes the word blessed can be translated made happy. <laughs> and God made them happy. And God made them happy and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the living things that move on the earth. So right off the bat, God said, be happy and join together and create life. That's marriage. And then God said, not only do you get to join in with me to create life, but you get to join with me in ruling over, having authority over. So the one with all of, us, all of the authority, the supreme uh, ruler of the universe, says, I'm inviting you in not only to create life, but to rule and reign over everything with me. So whether you have children or not, you're invited to do God's stuff, rule and reign join together in this that as men and women join together we not only create life but we rule over god's creation with him it is a glorious glorious partnership he has called us into a second way that he has called us into partnership is that god partners with fathers in the passing on of the work among them 
Notice Deuteronomy chapter 4, 6, 11, and 30, if you want to go read that all on your own. Chapters 4, chapter 6, chapter 11, chapter 30. But we're just going to settle in on this one verse out of chapter 6, verse 7. It says to the fathers, impress them on your children, that is his commands. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road or drive along the road as the case may be today or maybe you're back to walking because $6 a gallon, that's insane, let's all start walking again. Or get a bike or three. when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, as you do life, the responsibility of a father is to take the children and say, these are the commands of God. And we're going to talk about them when we're at home. We're going to talk about them when we're going to go to bed. We're going to talk about them when we wake up. We're going to talk about them when we're traveling. And we're going to talk about the commands of God and the work of God all the time. That's always going to be what we're going to talk about because it is my job as a father and as a grandfather, as a man in the church, to make sure that the next generation fully understands the work and the commands of God among them. That is your task. That is my task. Step up to the challenge. Because God has called you into partnership with Him. Another verse that makes this point is the book of Joel, the prophet Joel, that says this in verse 3. Tell it to your children and let your children tell their children and their children to the next generation. Because this thing should be a generational push. That we understand it's not just me, it's not my kids, it's going to be my grandkids and my great-grandkids. Because we're building a heritage And as I said a few moments ago, maybe you're in the position that my father was in. That before him, the whole thing was a wreck besides my grandmother. My grandmother was the only one (laughs) going to that little Nazarene church in Greenfield, California. Back in the 50s. And being there and having so many medical problems that her prayer was, please, Lord, let me live long enough to see my youngest child grow up. Shortly after my father's 18th birthday, my grandmother Margaret passed away. Hmm. So in classic dad fashion, my dad joined the military because he didn't know what else to do. He had taken care of his mom from the time they were 14 to the time he was 18, and my grandparents were divorced, and back then that was not a thing. Hmm. And so that grandma that I'm sure prayed for her son, my dad, who was running all over the place, doing all sorts of things he shouldn't have been doing. And her prayers to remain alive until my dad, who was the youngest, hit 18, was answered. 22 years later, at the age of 40, her prayer for his salvation was answered. And through the prayers of my grandmother and my father, the Hobbs name changed. And we're thankful for that because it is our job and it is our partnership with God to make sure that we are passing on the work of God among us and the challenges that he had faced for us. We are presenting those to our children and grandchildren and may they do the same. Third way that we partner with God is that we partner with God in providing an inheritance. Proverbs 13.22 says this, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. In other words, it's taken away. So what are we leaving behind? 
Now I'm 50. I'll be 51 next, next month. I plan on being around for a while. I plan on seeing my grandsons get into their 20s and 30s, and that's my prayer. That's what happens when you get married at 19, have three kids by the time you're 25, and be a grandpa at 46. We, we could be in this game for a while. <laughs> so what are we going to leave? See, that's something I'm already working on. Already working on. Because my father, my grandfather, my father-in-law, and my great what do you call that, grandfather-in-law? <laughs> Always leaving that legacy. Grandpa Jimmy, some of you that have been in my office have seen Grandpa Jimmy's first church. That little picture of him standing there next to this thing that looks like a wooden shack. Yes, it was a church. <laughs> and he's standing there with a big old giant smile on his face, wearing a suit and tie, as good pastors did then. And there he was. And then I owe a lot of my entertainment hours to my grandmother-in-law, Mama Ruth who made sure to tell Susan, I know you let your husband watch his sports. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So what happens when you have a grandmother-in-law that played basketball for the University of Tennessee in a skirt, no mind, mind you, because that's how ladies played basketball back then. They played them in skirts. So I remember that day when we were sitting there, and she said, you ladies let your husband watch their sports. Yes, amen. She's living up to that because I watch my fill. So we partner with God in leaving inheritance. And then finally, God partners with fathers in discipline. Proverbs 14, 24, whoever, the, whoever spares the rod hates their ch children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Notice the word careful. We must be careful to discipline our children. Now, I don't know how to do this as a grandpa yet. I don't know. You, the other day I had the boys at the park up here, Wildwood Park, and one of them wanted to go see the bridge, and one of them didn't want to go see the bridge. The other one's too little to care. And the one that didn't want to go see the bridge got a little sideways with Grandpa. And he had both his hands up like this. And he's like, I don't want to. And he got mad at me. He said, I don't want to go see the bridge. And like I had to do his father, got a hold of his tiny little shoulders, and I said, you need to calm down a second. And we're going to go see the bridge. And he just stared at me. <clears throat> Fine. Okay, let's go. Let's see the bridge. And those things and how we got to. I remember Liam the first time I had to say, hey, you need to stop doing that. Boy, I broke the little dude's heart. Grandpa said no. Grandpas don't say no. Well, we don't say no to a lot of things. Most things that pertain to sugar, we don't say no. Take me for a ride on the bike, Grandpa, sure. And then as I have him behind me, he starts singing this little song because we have on Grandma's e-bike e because when you take the grandson, you just want to push a button. So I have him on the e-bike, and he's behind me, tied to me with his little helmet, singing the song, Nothing is Impossible with Bima's Bike. I don't know where he came up with that song, but he started singing it. A couple days later, he's walking around the house singing it to Heather. And then Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so that's our task. 